0: He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if indeed you continue in faith stable and steadfast not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which i paul became a minister this is the word of the lord thanks be to god
1: may be seated. Before I pray, two things I'm excited about this morning. Uh, One, uh, looking forward to seeing where God punctuates my sermon with thunder, and we can decide whether that's because I've said something wrong or you're doing something wrong. We'll figure that out together. Um, Also, no clock, so who knows what's going to happen, all right? Let me pray for us. Waiting for the thunder. Okay, nope. Lord, thank you for the opportunity once again uh, to bring us all together as a family, to listen to your word. What a deep passage we have to deal with this morning. And I pray that you would utilize the study that has been done this week, the spirit that is active here to speak to us in our own way, in the way that we need to hear about the loving care, the leadership, the authority and the purpose we are given through Jesus Christ. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, here we go. Um, The Colossians, we're in the book of Colossians, so the Christians back in Colossae some 2,000 years ago, uh, were being challenged, we've talked about this a little bit already, with reinventing Jesus or customizing Jesus. So Epaphras, if you look in the first few verses of the chapter, Epaphras is this man who had been a faithful ministry partner of Paul. He had heard the gospel himself, and then he brought the gospel to Colossae. He's the one that planted this church, converted these Christians. He has shared the essential teachings of the Christian faith. In verse 6, they call them the grace of God and truth. And what happens since Epaphras had started this church... Other ideologies, again, we've spoken about this, uh, they weren't trying to get the Colossians to get rid of Jesus. They were trying to have the Colossians add to the faithful essential teachings of Jesus. So uh, some were coming in and wanted them to have a more Jewish view of Jesus. Some were coming in and wanted them to have a, a more spiritual or mystical view of Jesus. And so we can relate to this because reinventing Christianity, reinventing Jesus has never stopped. <laughs> it, it's still going on. And so throughout the years, uh, you can look in church history, there's been folks trying to reinvent Jesus sometimes in systematic big ways, meaning uh, uh, they, they are trying to, to change the whole of church doctrine. That's why we have these councils throughout history, trying to determine which one is the right way to view Jesus, which one is the right belief. But I think more often than not, and we forget this, more often regular people throughout all of history living regular lives are the ones who are most often customizing Jesus. They take the Jesus they've heard about, the true Jesus, and then what do we do? What do they do? They try to customize Jesus in practical ways to fit their lives and make them comfortable. And so we, like the Colossians, face Custom Jesuses. And I was trying to discern, is that an appropriate time to say Jesus? Is that because it's a lot of this is in there. But um, we are facing in our own day and age systematic challenges to Jesus. Whole denominations, I don't know if you realize this, whole denominations right now are rewriting, reinterpreting scripture to customize Jesus to some other thing. But although that's an issue, We have this other thing that we have to be aware of. Regular people living regular lives are tempted all the time to bring in new things and make a custom Jesus for themselves, us included. So what's the big deal? What's the big deal about that? Well, like the Colossian church, we are not allowed to customize or reinvent Jesus. We're just not. In fact, when you take biblical Christianity... Guess what it's based on? The Bible, okay? And so biblical Christianity, when you take that, the revealed, authoritative, inerrant, infallible word of God, and you begin to depart from that, it's no longer biblical Christianity. It's actually nothing at all. It's nothing. The problem with customizing Jesus is as soon as you do it, he is no longer Jesus, the Jesus we are to know, love, share. And so Paul here wants us to understand that we cannot invent a new Jesus that adheres to our desires, our wishes, our rebellions. We can't take our, our, our natural desires or even cultural ideas and try to form Jesus into it. You change one small part of who Jesus is presented in Scripture, and he's no longer Jesus. And So how can we tell the counterfeit from the true and Thank the Lord we have the scriptures. This here, Paul has, we're not sure if it's a poem of praise or a hymn, but either way, this is like his thesis statement on who Jesus is. He goes back to it and refers to it throughout the whole book of Colossians. And what he is doing is he is using an essential truth to teach and protect the Colossians from fake Jesus. And he's using this essential truth to teach and protect us from the same. He's using the original by which to compare all counterfeits. And so, listen, this is a passage. Again, I'm studying this passage or this book with two other pastors, and we agreed you could take this one passage alone and probably teach eight sermons on it. But we are not going to do that today. Well, I have no clock, so here we go. Going to wing it. Um, But we're going to really focus in on one thing from this passage today, and that is that this, this passage is actually full of prepositions prepositions, relational language, I'll call it. And so the the passage itself moves from a broad view, creation, the cosmos, and it moves to a very narrow view, the Christian as an individual. And what this passage does is it actually shows Jesus' relationship at every level of reality to us in the world. So we're going to certainly go through what some of these phrases mean. But today we really want to focus in on who Jesus is relationally to every level of reality. So without further ado, let's take a look. First off, in verses 15 through 17, we can see Jesus' relationship to creation. Beginning of verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. Paul rips the band-aid right off. Jesus is God in the flesh. That's it. Jesus is God in the flesh. If you take the words that are in the Greek that are used to uh, to um, describe this, it would be something that like this: Jesus is a living representation of the God that is impossible to see. That's what Jesus is. Oh, thunder! Okay, let's pay attention. Okay, okay. Um, So think about it this way: you could list all if you could list all the components of what makes God God. Think about it with me. What makes God, God? We're not going to do that, but if you can list all the components, the essential parts that make God, God are present in Jesus Christ. They're present in Jesus Christ. The essential pieces of divinity, the essential pieces of God are in Jesus Christ. He's the image of the invisible God. Now, if you'd like to read more about this, write down this word, kenosis, kenosis. K-E-N-O-S-I-S. It is not a planet from Star Wars. It refers to Jesus, the human, willingly limiting some of his divine powers on earth. You can read about it. There's a whole thing. But you can see how it is described in Philippians 2. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, we sometimes use the word grasp like reached. This means held on to. And but what did Jesus do? He emptied himself, and that's where that word kenosis comes from, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So Jesus, the God-man, he is God in the flesh, the image of the invisible God. So what is true? Jesus certainly in some ways limited his divine powers, but he did not lay aside his Godhead. Jesus is God. And then we have this maybe confusing statement, the firstborn of all creation. Now, firstborn is a relational term in this context. For us, think about how we use firstborn sometimes. We use it as a description of a personality, okay? So when you say someone is a firstborn in a personality context, what are they? They're kind of type A, rule followers, all these types of things. We've seen that. And so you may not mean literally that that person was born first in their family, but if they act Like a firstborn, they have certain personality traits. For ancient cultures, firstborn is a position. It's a position. So take this as an example. Some cultures even still, if there is no son born in their family, they'll adopt a distant relative to become the firstborn. Is that person literally first or born of that family? No, but they are now considered the firstborn because they have the position to carry on the name. To receive the inheritance. And so here, we're not talking about Jesus being born, literally. We're talking about his position before all creation. Jesus is the receiver of the inheritance, he's the one that carries on the name of God. He is the one that is above all creation. And we can see this further in the next verse, verse 16. Describing how he's the firstborn and how he's the image of the invisible God. It says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So, by Jesus, what? Everything, each individual unit is the word here, was created by Jesus. By Jesus. In heaven, this refers to the supernatural. So nothing exists supernaturally without it being created by Jesus Christ. The earth, nothing exists naturally without it being created by Jesus Christ. Visible, everything that can be seen. Invisible, everything that cannot be seen. Even political powers, rulers, dynasties. Jesus Christ is the craftsman of everything. And I love this. It's not just through him. And here's one of these prepositional phrases or these p- relational phrases. Creation was, everything was created through him, but also for him. And look at the, verse 17. It, it reiterates two points. He is before all things. Jesus is first in line. He, was, he started before anything else started. He never started. He was there. He's also the sustainer in him, all things Hold together. One author this week said this, Jesus is the sustainer of the universe and the unifying principle of its life. Apart from his continuous sustaining activity, everything would fall apart. Think about this. Think about how this describes Jesus and his role in even rain and thunder and lightning. Jesus is God. Jesus is creator. Jesus is first. Jesus is the beginning. Jesus is the sustainer. Everything is through him, and everything is not just through him. It's for him. It's for him. And so as we look at these few verses and we start asking about the relationship that Jesus has with the cosmos and with creation, here's what we can learn. Jesus rules all creation. And the purpose of creation is determined by Jesus. That's it. That's his relationship. That's his role in all of creation. Ruler, determiner of the purpose. We're going to keep moving. The the passage then narrows to a subset of the whole, a special category of creation. And we see in verses 18 through 20, Jesus' relationship to the church. You're going to notice uh, some similar language here, and even might be that similar to the pattern of verse 15, which leads us to believe it's some kind of poem or hymn. But look at verse 18, the first section. He is the head of the body, the church, a declaration of who Jesus is. So he's not just ruler over the church. There's this anatomical connection of Jesus to his body of believers. He's the brains. He's the life of the church and certainly it's authoritative but this is a living relational connection. And so there's all kinds of things we that we can pull from this and and Paul in other books uh, Romans 12 you can look at this 1 Corinthians 12 we'll look at a few passages this morning even Ephesians this idea of Jesus as the head and we as his body comes up again and again and again and so uh, there's so many things that we can pull from this. But first, we need to understand that there is a vertical component. Certainly, the authority of Jesus is over the church, and the creation of the church is because of Jesus. But there's also a horizontal component as well. What a blessing that we get to welcome new members today. This is a visual of that horizontal component. But listen to how Paul describes this in 1 Corinthians 12. God has so composed the body that there may be no division in the body and that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Jesus is the head of the body, the church. And then it continues. You'll see more of this firstborn language. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. This is speaking of his resurrection. He's the first in a series so as it goes with being firstborn from the dead, Jesus is the first to be re- re- resurrected. We, are, as his body, will follow. And by the power of his resurrection, we too will be resurrected. Future tense, certainly, but also present tense. Jesus is this founder of this new humanity, is what this is saying. In 2 Corinthians 5, we read about this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away the new has come. The church is the new humanity. Jesus is the founder and the head. The resurrection of Christ, as we see in the end of this verse, that in everything he might be, pre- be preeminent, the re- resurrection of Christ is the final say and Jesus' ranking over all things. He's not only creator of the old creation, he's the creator of the new creation, the church. And so, what this is saying preeminent means that Jesus is before all else. And I, it's not lost on me that Jesus is bae. I get it. Jesus is bae. If you don't know what that means, go ahead and Google that up later. B A E. Um, but the church is connected to Jesus. So there's all this stuff wrapped up in this idea, but what are we seeing here? Jesus ruler over creation. He determines the purpose of creation. Jesus is the head of the church and guess what? He determines the purpose of the church as well. It continues in verses 19 and 20, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This is a reference again to verse 15. And here's some more of these relational words. And through him, the the, the one who's the image of the invisible God, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The fullness of God dwelt in Jesus. And through Jesus, all things will be reconciled, where? To himself. This was accomplished by the blood of the cross. And so Jesus rules the church. And the purpose of the church is determined by Jesus. Maybe you're seeing a pattern here. That purpose is hinted at here, but I want to just take a moment to kind of sidestep into 2 Corinthians 5. We've already mentioned how Jesus is the beginning of this new humanity, but in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul goes a little deeper into the purpose of the church. Here's what he has to say, and you're going to see this word reconcile repeated in the next section several times, but here's what Paul has to say in reference to Jesus being the firstborn from the dead, the first to be resurrected, creating the church and its purpose. It says this, speaking of the resurrection, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Here's what's happening. Jesus Christ, ruler of creation, determines his purpose. Jesus Christ, head of the church, folds us in through his resurrection power into the body. And so we have been reconciled. And what is our purpose? It's the same purpose of Christ. We are the body of Christ in this world. Our, our ministry is his ministry, the ministry of calling others to be reconciled to Jesus Christ. That's it. So we've seen Jesus be ruler over creation in the church. We've seen Jesus determine the purpose of creation in the church. And we have one more level of detail, the individual Christian, one unit of the body. And we see this in verses 21 through the end. Verses 21 to the beginning of 22. And you, speaking individually. So he's talked about creation, he the subset of the church. And now he's talking to individual Christians. And you, Christian, were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled. Stop there. So, a transaction occurred. We saw this a few weeks ago where we were moved from the, the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. A transaction occurred. It's not just a transactional connection we have, though. It's this loving, spiritual, connected relationship. Look how it continues. We are reconciled where? In his body of flesh. How? By his death. So this word reconcile it means to reestablish a formerly harmonious relationship and so how does Jesus do this for us we were rebels we were enemies and now we are not we are actually members of Christ's body he does this through his death the payment for our sins and so, this connection to the body, do you see why membership is so important? Not as, a, as an act of human will, but literal membership. What happens? We are members of Christ's body. We become spiritually alive. A new blood, the power of the Spirit flows through our veins. And Jesus did this. Jesus is Lord of our salvation. We didn't do this by good works, we didn't earn it. Jesus did this for us. And so we belong to him. Just like the church belongs to him, just like creation belongs to him. Christian, we belong to Jesus. And just like creation and just like the church, this relationship is not simply positional, meaning he has authority. It also gives us purpose. Jesus rules over the purpose of our salvation. Look what it says in the end of verse 22 into verse 33. In order to. Why has Jesus done this? This is answering that question to present you, Christian, holy and blameless, above reproach, where? Before him. Another positional statement. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. The blood of Christ binds us up in the body of Christ, and we are reconciled, how? By his death and for his purpose. And this change that he's talking about, becoming holy, becoming blameless, being presented before him in this, new, this newly, um, uh, uh, what's the word, reestablished relationship was done by his death, and it's accomplished by remaining steadfast and an unmovable gospel. And so we come full circle where does our holiness come from? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ gives us salvation, and then he works out our holiness. And where does he, where does he do that? In the teachings of Scripture, holding us true to who he really is, not some um, uh, 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 imagined Jesus, but the true Jesus. And this perseverance that we find in sticking to what the Bible teaches us, what the Bible says about God, it'll take place over the entirety of our whole lives, but we will be sanctified. And so we see from these last several verses that what? Jesus rules over our salvation. And guess what? He, he determines the purpose of our salvation. In every level of reality that exists, Jesus is the ruler. And Jesus determines the purpose. And so, what the world needs, what everything needs, if we can look at it from this passage, what does the world need? What do we need? What does the church need? We need essentially Jesus. Jesus. Not the one we've created for ourselves to make us more comfortable or whatever it is, so we don't have to have awkward conversations with friends but the one that's presented in Scripture. Think of it this way. When we are stuck in lies, what's the only way out? The Scripture, the truth of God. There's no way back to a harmonious relationship with God but through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. There's no other way. There's no way to experience true hope in our lives but living and knowing the gospel. That's the only place we find it. There's no way back to true unity and peace for our world, but through Jesus. There's no other way. There's no other way. So church, what are we charged with doing? Christian, what are we charged with doing? We're charged with knowing, submitting to, and sharing this Jesus. That's what we're called to do. A passage like this. For me, I think for most of us, we read it, and if we were to take it at face value and accept it as true, we would ask the question, how could the world, how could I, how could you, how could anyone need anything other than Jesus? Look at the things it says about him. And so the way we're going to close this sermon is this the world more than it needs the right politician, more than the world needs the right ideology, more than the world needs a new way of finding peace. The world needs Jesus. And more church than we need a good pastor, more than we need justice, more than we need to get along. Do you know what the church needs? The church needs Jesus. And, and Christian, more than we need comfort, more than we need uh, success in our, our vocations, more than we need our kids to behave, more than we need any custom Jesus we think might be better, what do we need? We need the Jesus that is presented in Scripture and that Jesus alone. We need that relational connection. We need to per- persevere in that truth. and So this morning as we approach the table, it's appropriate. <coughs> Excuse me. It's appropriate to take this time to commit to the fact that we need Jesus. In fact, church, we need one another. We need the body of Christ. Not just this body, but this body. We need the body of Christ. And in addition to that, we have what the world needs. And so we need the courage. We need the strength. We need the opportunities to share that thing with them. So why do we gather for worship? We gather to remember the price that was paid, that transaction we talked about. We gather to remember that that my sin, my life cost Jesus his life, his blood. We gather to participate in our living reconciliation with God. You realize that's what worship is together. We have one thing in common. We're together because we are reconciled by the work of Jesus Christ. Nobody here has earned this. We're here because of Christ. We gather together to know Jesus to care for each other. But gathering is not the end of it. <laughs> gathering is just the beginning. Going proceeds from gathering. We go out from this place with all these things that we know, and these are the things that our neighbors that the world needs. We have been reconciled, and we are charged with the many ministry of reconciliation. So let us, as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, bask, Christian, in the fact that no matter how awful our sins are, we are reconciled. That relationship that was previously harmonious, that has been broken by sin, is now reestablished by the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Let us bask in that. Let it mean what it means. Let it be as special as it is. And let us ask God for the resources to take that reconciliation out. To give us wisdom and energy to be about his work in the world. So who should come and eat this morning? I think the the best way to say it, and I'll say it differently than I usually do, being a member of the body, what does it mean? We just took a bunch of vows. Do you believe you're a sinner? Do you believe Jesus is the only way? Do you believe the Holy Spirit is their guide? all these things. Do we believe these things? Yes. Are we a part of the body? This is not just about our individual relationship with Jesus. It's about our relationship with each other. Are we willing to say, I'm with God's people? And so this morning, if that is you, you are invited, not because you're a friend of Jesus, you're part of Jesus, And so we participate in the bread and the wine or the juice in order to say, I'm with Christ and I'm with my brothers and sisters. And so that helps us define who shouldn't. If you don't believe that Jesus is ruler over creation or gives your life purpose, or you don't believe that that the church really is this special subset of, of a new creation, you don't believe these things, it doesn't make any sense to come and eat a little bit of bread and juice doesn't make any sense. Or if you are uh, rejecting part of Christ's body and you're saying, no, I will not, that can look a lot of different ways, this is an opportunity to either confess that, ask for the courage to mend that division, or to abstain. It depends on where you're at. And so we're going to take just a moment to quietly pray, evaluate, to, to bask in our reconciliation and ask God, that this meal would bolster us in our ministry to the world and each other. Take a moment, and I'll gather us back together with a prayer of blessing. Father, I praise your name for the fact that we are not admitted to the table for how good, how good, how well I preached, or how well we listened, or how good we worshiped, if that's even a thing, it's not. We're admitted to the table because of who you are and who you've made us to be. And so use this supper to remind us of who we used to be, where we used to be in relationship with you, and who we are now. We were rebels, we were alien hostiles to our loving creator. We were in a kingdom of darkness dominated by evil and pain. And now, what are we? We are reconciled to God by the blood of the cross of Jesus. We are reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. And so, as we participate in the supper, that you gave us, we remember and we affirm our participation in his body by eating the sign of his body and drinking the sign of his blood. And so, Father, this morning, bless our partaking, use it in our walk together. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.